Welcome to the Endurance Drive podcast. Our mission is to share the key principles that structure our approach to endurance training and coaching. I'm Jim. And I'm Katie. And today's podcast is a topic that was probably number one on both of our lists. Yeah, this is the reason I wanted to make a podcast. So finally, we've made it here. Episode six. Episode six. Here we go. It's near and dear to our hearts, right? Yeah. And we hope after today, we'll inspire you a little bit to do some training, maybe outside the box. Yes, we will. Our topic today is adventures as training. Yay. Yes. So we're actually going to run it back just a couple days to talk about a recent adventure that we had. Um, It was our fifth year actually doing a New Year's Eve tradition. So for the past five years, we have all headed up to the White Mountains and have done some type of really fun hike on either New Year's Eve or New Year's Day or both with a big group of friends to celebrate the new year. So this year we got to walk up into uh, Tux, which is the bowl of Mount Washington. Usually that's where there's a lot of skiing happening, although not right now because it hasn't been <laughs> hasn't been much winter. And then the next morning we hiked up Mount Madison, which is one of the 48 4,000 footers. So glad to continue that. But it speaks to this broader set of principles that we have that are about training. That's not actually triathlon slash racing. Right. We always, we always talk about we are triathlon coaches, I guess, probably first and foremost, mm-hmm. but maybe not. I don't, maybe I don't, sometimes not. I don't really know which, which box we fit into. I think the differentiating characteristic is that we would never, ever, ever get an Ironman tattoo. No offense to those out there that have an Ironman tattoo. We love you. We support you. But we are not that type. We're sort of that uphill mountain athlete who's showing up at the triathlons. I think we often say we do triathlon as an ex- when we can't do other mountain sports. Exactly. Right? <laughs> That's yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> so after having about five episodes talking about mostly triathlon training, a little bit of run training, we're excited to dive into the sort of adventure side of the training and principles that we do. Right. So like last episode, we talked about like you're signed up for Cedar Summit. Yep. And, we, and we went through a, like seven months of training and we outlined some of the key workouts mm-hmm. and a lot of them were you know the traditional swim bike and run workouts but we also mentioned a number of things like winter hiking and, mm-hmm. and, tra- and trail running and adventure biking right mm-hmm. so today we're going to sort of focus on those qualities and we're going to de- define what adventure training is and why to do it and when to do it and I guess how to do it yeah mm-hmm. well and actually first I'd like to back up a little bit and ask you about your history of adventure training because I'll give you some gym lore um, basically Jim's history was more focused on the adventure and mountain and stuff before it even was triathlon so in terms of like your introduction to endurance maybe you could tell us a little bit about what that looked like oh, uh, so we're gonna go way, many many years ago way 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 this back. is back in the 1800s this is back in the civil war before the civil, <laughs> before the civil war yes so before the civil war katie <laughs> um, i did hike the the 48 4000 footers in new hampshire mm-hmm. uh, over a couple of years in college and um, which led into you know leading outdoor trips for the outing club um, and then led into Walking about 700 miles on the Appalachian Trail nice. one summer. And then um, went into my favorite job of all time, which was working for the Appalachian Mountain Club. And I did all kinds of cool things there. Did tent caretaker, um, worked in the huts, did winter caretaking. Just a super fun job. And why was that endurance So like in terms of being a caretaker, what did that look like for people who aren't too familiar with the AMC? Well, back then we didn't call it endurance sports. We just called, <laughs> we, we just called it hiking and backcountry skiing. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but I know that you had a lot of like carrying stuff and carrying people and lugging gear and also growing mitochondria in the process. Right. Exactly right. So yes, working in the huts and working at the AMC was just perfect, you know, tons and tons of low level aerobic exercise right mm-hmm, i.e. I. E. hiking <laughs> but also as part of a hut crew every t- uh, twice a week we would carry supplies to the yep. huts and that would be anywhere from 30 pounds to 100 pounds so we talk about these you know local muscular endurance uphill training mm-hmm. you know <laughs> athlete type stuff it just put a bunch of 
weight on your back and carry it up to a hut. And that's what we were doing. <laughs> exactly. In training peaks, you will see that as weighted carry, but it's really just like carry shit up the mountain. We're just going to start putting to telling people to, you know, carry fish up to the lakes of the clouds or up the <laughs> mountain, right? You can, right? Good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, blankets are very heavy, by the way. <laughs> so you left the area for a little while and then you came back here in 2016. What happened then in terms of your progression into the sport of triathlon with some adventure training? So back in the day, I, when I, I lived in Alaska and sort of got into triathlon mm-hmm. uh, very heavily there. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back, um, I sort of began to blend more triathlon training with you know more mountain sports. Mm-hmm. And sort of ironically, living in Alaska where there's just all kinds of mountains around, but I was <laughs> super, super busy there. I didn't get a chance to do as much mountain stuff there as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So coming back here and meeting a, a, a crew of, of new young people mm-hmm. at the Dartmouth Triathlon Club and, and begin introducing them to the, the White Mountains. And, mm-hmm. and that's really where you come in. Yeah, that's where I enter this story. And I actually did not have a ton of mountain experience or anything. I guess not that many kids do. Some lucky kids do have a lot of mountain experience, but I didn't. And so when I started my undergrad at Dartmouth, I started spending a little bit more time in the mountains. And a lot of those adventures were with Jim kind of first just getting a feel for like, okay, what kind of gear do you need if if you want to go up a really big mountain in the winter and how do you moderate your energy over the course of these big adventures and that dovetailed with my triathlon progression in a big way so I was learning not just like okay what is sweet spot on the bike but also how do I become durable and how do I you know fuel myself for multi-hour even multi-day adventures that stuff all happened in the context of adventures as training but the good thing is it was really fun you know it was just going out for an adventure and we're going to talk a lot about kind of why these adventures are so great and why they're different from race simulations or anything that you're even going to see in a standard training plan. And since then, we've done so many cool adventures and we're hoping that this podcast can inspire you a little bit to think outside the box and fold these really fun things into your into your plan. And as we go through this, I think we'll mention a few of those big mm-hmm. big adventures that we've had because they've been super fun. Um, but maybe we should start with, the, so what is an unstructured adventure as training, right? Like, what is it? And we thought about this and there's sort of three different types mm-hmm. of unstructured training. So Katie, you want to stick to the first one? Yeah, there's sort yeah, of yeah. a tiered approach. Yeah. It's a pyramid mm-hmm. scheme. <laughs> right. It's you not get, a pyramid scheme. You get scheme, one but... person, you get two people to hike and then they get two people to hike and so on and so <laughs> no, forth, right? and we right? get paid every yeah. time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> anyway, we think of three tiers of different unstructured adventures. So the lowest tier, and that's not low and a bad thing, but we think about it as like easy or relaxed so an unstructured adventure could be say an activity usually it's in the woods or the forest or the mountains not really something that's going to be inside or on the roads necessarily and it has very loose time or distance or pace goals so think about like an exploring trail run or a hike into the hills or your local mountains exploring trails or dirt roads it doesn't just have to be hiking it could be mountain biking gravel biking think of a lot of dirt and rocks most likely but again <laughs> think creatively and preferably these adventures are with friends. They're low pressure, but they're also gently building some base fitness. So these just by nature tend to be very much zone one, two activities. And that's why, you know, they all contribute to this mitochondria factory, but you're really enjoying it. You're building community and it is really focused on joy. And one thing I really love about these is just the exploratory nature mm-hmm. of them, right? And I was talking to an athlete this morning who moved to a new area, mm-hmm. and he went out for a run. Yep. And about uh, probably his run was scheduled to be about an hour, but mm-hmm. after you know a couple miles, he ran into a huge swamp and he couldn't mm-hmm. get across the trail. And he's yep. suddenly and he ends up back in his car and he's earlier than an hour, right? But that's okay, right? So next time he goes back, he knows where the swamp is and can maybe turn that forty-five minute run into an hour, hour exactly. and a half, right? But mm-hmm. don't be afraid to go out and explore and get lost. Yep. So you can even stop your watch 
look mm-hmm. at the trail mm-hmm. map, right? There's a little bit of a startup cost to some of this, right? <laughs> but that's okay. And I know that personally sometimes stopped me. I just want to go, I want to go out and go for my run, mm-hmm. you know? And But there's still trail systems that I haven't explored around here because mm-hmm. I'm sort of unwilling to take the exploratory. But I need to mm-hmm. do more of that. So maybe that's a 2024 resolution. I love that. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's the lowest tier. Then we move up into tier two, which we might call like a moderate unstructured adventure. Jim, you want to tell us about that? Sure. So the moderate days in the mountains, it just sort of pushes your boundaries and sort mm-hmm. of pushes your fitness a little bit more. Um, but it doesn't necessarily wreck you mm-hmm. physically or mentally mm-hmm. <laughs> and hopefully the danger element is fairly low we encourage that mm-hmm. but they do really provide this very nice stimulus they incorporate more volume than an easy day and maybe more elevation mm-hmm. maybe some more eccentric loading which is just basically walking downhill right or running downhill lots of side to side motion some hopping and it really just builds in this like base in this sort of tempo threshold heart rates and efforts right so and typically there's some fueling strategy right mm-hmm. it's you know it's like you should always bring a snack right yep. like that's the best parenting mm-hmm. advice. Always bring snacks. So, <laughs> so bring a snack on your mountain, your moderate mountain day, right? Mm-hmm. I think about actually our hike up Madison the other day. It was kind of like one of those moderate days. Mm-hmm. So this was about an eight mile hike. It has about 4,000 feet of elevation gain. So that's pretty beefy. And you're, you're definitely breathing up into that zone two slash three area as you're climbing. And then there's also a lot of technical stuff. So there's ice and it's very, very cold. You got to be worried about frostbite. You got to worry, be worried about proper gear, not having your water freeze, not having your bars freeze, all those things. So I think of that sort of as the moderate thing. But at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, you know, we were out for three and a half hours and we were back before breakfast. So it wasn't like I I wasn't that wrecked the day after. I don't know about you, though. (laughs) No, not too bad. But I I felt like the the day was moderate Mm -hmm. and below tree line. And then it felt like it kind of went into this high zone where Mm -hmm. we hit the that we hit basically tree line Mm -hmm. and it went from wearing just one base layer suddenly we had to put on vests and a Mm -hmm. coat and a hat and bigger gloves and Mm -hmm. it sort of went into this what we're going to sort of call high adventure Mm -hmm. right yeah and there the danger element does go up a little bit so that's just speaking to the importance of you know as that danger element goes up think about doing these ventures with other people preferably who are about like the same pace the same ability level just because these situations can get a little bit dangerous but sometimes that's what makes it fun All right, so next tier, the Mm. primo tier here is the high unstructured adventure. So what does that look like? So this can be really any kind of, you know, say for example, like big mountain adventures, like here in the Northeast, it could be the presidential traverse. It could mm-hmm. be, it could be the Pemi loop. Um, there's a lot of like this fastest known times thing is now mm-hmm. seems to be very popular with, with people. And mm-hmm. that sort of happens everywhere across the country. Yep. Um, it could be 14,000 footers out West, really, really anything that's kind of big that incorporates, you know, just it maybe it incorporates a specific time or just maybe just trying to survive mm-hmm. being out there, right? So in other words, like the high, like this is a big deal, mm-hmm. right? It's something you're kind of shooting for. And this is actually something that we have programmed training plans for with athletes before. We've had athletes come to us and say, hey, I really want to do my first presidential traverse and I want to do it fast. We can develop training plans for stuff like that. So, you know, there's sort of this line between is it an unstructured adventure? Is it an event? But at the end of the day, these higher level adventures are, they're pretty hard and you're going to be sore after and you're probably going to want to taper beforehand. But as we'll describe in just a couple minutes, you still have a lot of really cool variables in your control, which is why we like them. And these high ones really demand a, a high level of fitness, mm-hmm. right, of pacing and fueling and, mm-hmm. and especially smart decision making. That's yes. very, very important, especially in some of the high places mm-hmm. and just gear choices. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. We love gear. We love mm-hmm. it just love as gear. much as known too. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's go through, we're all about principles here. Let's go through a few of these principles of unstructured adventures because they're very different 
from a traditional Ironman, you pay $750 minimum and you sign up and you do your race. So let's go one by one on these. So the first one, what you just said to is like, you don't pay for it. It's free, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And we saw a lot of this during COVID. Yes. People, I think that's one of the benefits of, of COVID from an endurance sports perspective is that people turn to, I think, the mountains and the woods, mm-hmm. right? Or to, you know, to gravel biking and just said, we mm-hmm. can do easy or moderate or, or hard things and it's free mm-hmm. yeah and just remind yourself that big brands like iron man for example don't have to own adventuring and really hard things even major events that you think of as your quote a race in a year iron man doesn't have to own that and especially if you're on a budget or if you just don't want to direct your money to that and you'd rather buy fun gear then that's what's really nice about these adventures and what's nice about it so you get to say, say you get to plan it and you get, yeah. to, you get to create it this is where you get to really use the creative juices mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly so mm-hmm. let's say you're talking about a presidential traverse this is if we didn't mention this before this is a big hike from the white mountains that covers i think eight different peaks and is about 20 miles and 10,000 feet of elevation gain but you can plan hey i want to do this at a full moon or i want to do it at sunrise or i want to do it on the longest day of the year the shortest day of the year there's lots of different ways to think about that so it really is a choose your own adventure you can say i want to do all the pizza except for one just because i said so <laughs> so that's what's fun right so you can choose your goals you choose your conditions you choose your distances right? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and yeah. importantly you also can keep those goals and conditions flexible mm-hmm. so we've definitely set out to do various adventures where we have an objective in mind but we get there and we realize either because of the way that we're feeling or because of the way that the trail conditions are or the weather is that it's just not the way to do it that's okay that's not really a dnf that's just pivoting your adventure and you Mm -hmm. can go try it again another day without having sort of missed the boat on that special race day we've restarted the number of adventure days Mm -hmm. yeah this is the day we're going to do this Mm -hmm. and then it got to that day i was like we are definitely not doing it today yes i remember (laughs) there was one time where we had geared up to do a presidential traverse in the winter and we woke up at four o'clock in the morning and heard the wind outside and looked at each other and we were like we're going to come back in 48 hours and we left our packs on the counter filled with water ready to go we left we came back and we executed the whole thing 48 hours later it was so. the right call it was definitely the right call <laughs> we want to survive safety first yes or at least second anyway <laughs> <laughs> um, another key principle of these adventures is that you know you can prepare for it but you're usually not following a dedicated training plan because of that flexible element so the idea is mostly to be just using the big fitness that you have from an existing season and that's what's great about you know triathlon training or trail running any of these training plans often have this carryover fitness. So I've had years where, you know, I've done an Ironman training plan. I've recovered after the race for about a month and then I'm in pretty good shape to roll out a Pemi loop or roll out a really big ride just because of that residual fitness. So it's nice to kind of just be able to pull out your fitness and use it for lots of different objectives. You'll hear us refer to big fitness, capital B, capital (laughs) F. And Katie, what does that mean to you? Big fitness. Big fitness is, you know, it requires a lot of training either on a dedicated training plan or not, but it basically means that if someone just says, hey, do you want to go do a 20 mile trail run with me tomorrow or a 100 mile ride? You can just do it. You know, it gives you this key to unlock to all of the big adventures out there. And it obviously takes work, but it has a lot of rewards as well. It's very liberating. Something we've talked about a lot is is taking our bikes from here mm-hmm. and riding 30 miles, jumping in a lake, maybe yep. swimming across the lake, mm-hmm. getting out of the lake, riding to another lake, mm-hmm. swimming again, yep. going back out again. So it's just, it's a very freeing, mm-hmm. right? Way to sort of experience the outdoors, right? Yeah. Once, once you have that big fitness, there's so many things you can do 
with so many different types of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we'll let you know that, you know, if you're working with us now and you're training for a race, you are developing big fitness. So it's not really this thing that's shrouded in mystery. It just comes from all these principles we've talked about with consistency and volume and intensity at the in small doses. So you should be excited that you're on your way to big fitness big f- and the ability to do a big adventures. And probably the last principle we had here is that it was just really cool. So there's really no rules on adventure day, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, should, you sort of make the rules. Like you can incorporate the stops and mm-hmm. the snacks and the people you want to be with and the terrain and the route. So it's just a, it's a great way to get creative with your fitness and experiencing the outdoors. Mm-hmm. I remember there was one year right before I lived in California for a little while and right before I left, a big crew of us all got together to, again, a presidential traverse. You will hear this talked about a lot. That's a really special hike for us. But part of the, the fun that was wrapped into it was that each person in the, in the group had gotten some special going away gift for me that meant something. And each gift was given to me on each peak. So all my friends, you know, carried like a stuffed sloth and a painted rock and a mountain guide and all these different things and you know that's unstructured that's fun that's creative and it warmed my heart more than any like Ironman finisher medal ever would to get to do that with my crew and really what we were trying to do is just slow you down we're just trying to give, <laughs> we all carried a bunch of weight and we kept giving it to you know every single peak saying maybe this will slow her down maybe this will slow her down did it work <laughs> it did not work and you kept asking at every peak is this it is this the last one and we kept saying oh of course this is the last present we're going to give you yep. but i think you, you caught on after a while like, uh, okay I this, this I is going to continue all the way down the range well then i just picked up jim and i carried him all the way across the rest of the range as usual as usual um all right so we're going to now go through a couple of reasons just why you should consider incorporating these principles and these unstructured adventures so the first why is you know we talked about how these result from big fitness capital b capital f but they also build big fitness so you can think about getting a really big bump if you're out there all day doing one of these really big adventures you will be gaining fitness you will be testing your metabolic system you will also kind of learn what are my limits where am i messing up with fueling where am i messing up with gear and all of that stuff can be really useful for other types of long distance racing yeah, I mean, I've had a number of athletes who have done, for example, a hiking block. Right? Mm-hmm. They've hiked mm-hmm. for a week and they come back and they start their running program again and they're mm-hmm. five beats lower, mm-hmm. right? So there's massive amounts of aerobic, low-level mm-hmm. aerobic work going on with something building some of this big fitness in the mountains. And I think they're just it's like, why do it? They're just fun, right? There's a lot of gratification, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, also too, like there can be less, especially for the high stuff, like pre-race mm-hmm. anxiety, right? Exactly. The stakes are very low. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that when you know that you can at least control a lot of variables, that's another feature of this. You can optimize for things like the weather. So you're not going to be worried about, well, what if there's a thunderstorm on race day? If you choose a day where the forecast looks perfect, you're probably going to be in pretty good shape for that. And I think part of the reason we've had a lot of really big success with some of the adventures we've done is that we always try and optimize for the weather. So we're never going to go up and say, we're just going to power through on a day that looks awful. We're just going to wait until we have a better day. And that's often your best shot of having a really, really fun day because you're not dealing with these uncertainties that can really throw a wrench in your plans. I want to ask Ironman, you know, if it's a bad day on race day, can I just redo this? Can we just redo <laughs> this entire thing like next weekend? Is, yep. I'm just, I'm just can on, I leave I'm, my bike racked I'm, and then come back and Come back and then come back in a week. It's raining. It's a little too hot today. So maybe we can try next week when it's mm-hmm. cooler, right? Exactly. Um, Another reason why is we find that these are really, really fun to do with a friend or a group just because the objectives are not as specific. You know, sure, if you're doing an FKT, one of those really, really hard time goals, it might be a little bit different. But in general, if you're saying, I want to go spend the day outside and complete this route, it's okay if, you know, you might sometimes be a little moving a little slower, moving a little faster. I think it takes some of that pressure off and just focuses on community in a really fun way. Yeah, especially those low and those moderate ones, right? Mm -hmm. You say, you just get a group of friends or a family member and say, let's go hiking 
skiing together, be outside together. And mm-hmm. there are no specific goal times we have to hit, right, for those. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, we talked about this before, but again, these are nicer on the wallet. Average cost of an Ironman is like upwards of $750, much more if you're going to world championship races. And that's not even including travel and all that stuff. So save yourself some money and do these for fun. That's another big point. Yeah. How much do you think um, the average like sort of going to Kona or Nice would cost an athlete? Well, I will tell you that they increased the prices this year substantially for Kona. So just the race registration alone is, I think it was $1,400. And, you know, accommodations are really expensive and flights are really expensive. And even things like food and stuff are really, really expensive Mm -hmm. for one day where, you know, it's possible that you have a bike mechanical on the first two miles of the bike and there goes your day here. You know, it's a lot nicer to say, I'm going to go up into the mountains that are nearby and I'm going to drive there and I'm going to bring some bars and get a burger after. I will tell you that that's definitely can be just as gratifying with a whole lot less money involved. So take some of that 5k you spent to go to Kona, yeah, buy a nice pack, buy yes. some good, buy some good gear. Yep. You have that forever. It's and have some... $4,500 left over. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and then go spend it on burger and beers with your friends. <laughs> for the whole for team. The, the whole, yes. <laughs> Maybe a last one that we'll talk about in terms of reasons why is that we find that these unstructured adventures can give you really unique skills that will build confidence going to big races. So we've talked about this before, but things like pacing, nutrition, hydration, durability, even grit, you know, hour seven when you still have a while to go and you're really tired, but the fastest way is through, you're going to keep pushing in a way that you might not otherwise. So stepping a little bit outside of your comfort zone in a place where you have set the bounds of what you want to do, I think is really, really valuable. And I think it's important to keep in mind that some of these moderate or high adventures in the mountains often will require the same demands as racing a half Ironman or an Ironman or an ultra. So when you're out there for days on end, it's very, very similar to the effort that you'll need to expend on race day. Yeah, that's a great point. You don't have to do an an Ironman or official race to really Mm -hmm. build up that skill level, right? Absolutely. A big day in the mountains is is the same as being, for example, at 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 an Ironman race. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So if you're hooked on this idea, we would love to tell you a little bit about how you can implement these unstructured adventures into your training and into your life. So Jim, first, you want to talk a little bit about like when to do these in the context of season planning throughout your year? Most of these, like we talked about the low and the moderate ones. I mean, the low is a good time any time of year, right? Mm -hmm. You can do the local trail ones. We can incorporate that really 12 months of the year so during your base or even your your build period we can do that the moderate ones same thing can be really any time of the year it's, mm-hmm. it's probably the higher ones we want to plan more around mm-hmm. if you especially if you're doing a, a bigger race um but really they fit in really any time which is great mm-hmm. and i think we find that like if we think about my season for example this year the winter will be a really good time for those more low and moderate activities because we're building base and we're not really into that specific training yet so there's also a lot of really cool adventures to do in winter think about incorporating you know backcountry skiing cross-country skiing or just really big hikes in the snow Another thing for implementation is we definitely recommend optimizing for factors like weather and low life stress. This is especially important for moderate or higher adventures. But basically, as we said before, don't go out on a day that it's going to be really bad. Go out on a day where you're giving yourself the very best chance of success in terms of weather and just general life conditions. And I think we want to we would do want to stress that you know safety first. Right? Yes. You know, being whether it's here in New England and in the White Mountains or the Green Mountains or any mountains really anywhere in the world, you want to be prepared. Mm-hmm. And you want to work your way into it. So a series of low and immediate moderate adventures can eventually lead to a high adventure. But we certainly don't mm-hmm. want anybody to jump right into a high yes. adventure and say, go do a winter Prezi Traverse. Go mm-hmm. start off. Yes. Yeah. 
and I will note that this for me, you know, getting to know the whites with a guide in Jim, someone who knew a lot about this was really, really helpful. And now I feel confident taking other people out whether or not he is there. But in general, there's a lot to learn. And so ease in in terms of the time of year that you're going, you know, it's very easy for the temperatures to be 20 to 30 degrees different at the top of a mountain versus at the base and the conditions to be wildly different. So just keep that in mind. So we've talked a lot about the the why and the how to implement the unstructured adventures into your training, but we'd also like to talk about the where. Some of our favorite places, and we'll, we're going to give you a list of some of our favorite hikes in New England, and we're going to put links to all mm-hmm. these as well. So they'll, they'll be in our extended show notes, yes. and there'll be links to um, maybe the trailheads, mm-hmm. the hike the hike itself. Um, but anyway, do you want to start first with the – we're going to go easy to sure. easy hardest? Yeah, yeah so okay. if you're newish to hiking, there are a lot of hikes that are great to get started. One that I did recently that I actually had not done, I did it all – 48 of New Hampshire 4,000 footers before doing this mountain, but it's Mount Monadnock and that's in Southern New Hampshire and folks who are in like the Boston area, it's not too far away. So that was a really nice hike. It's, you know, got some scrambly stuff that makes you feel like you're a little bit more exposed and the top gets above tree line, but it's still, I think less than five miles. So not going to be a major day. Just keep an eye uh, out for ice and things like that. And it was fun to think about this list because a mountain that I haven't done in probably decades is Mount Major. And it's in the Lakes region of mm. New Hampshire, mm-hmm. which is a, a region, region we seem to forget about, yes. right? We're focused on the mountains mostly. But it's got um, a lot of open views to it, beautiful views of the lakes, as I remember. And I don't think it's that far. Great, great, great hike for beginners. And then as we kind of go up into slightly longer hikes, you could try Mount Musilock. That's a really fun one of the 4,000 footers that has fantastic views. We also really like Mount Shakura, which similarly amazing views, but really good bang for your buck in terms of how long the hike is. And all of these are not too, too far from civilization. So it's easy to do them as a day trip from a lot of different places. And another one with great exposure and has a little bit of venture to it is the Ball Faces over mm. on, on the New Hampshire mm-hmm. main border. And if you want to get even a little bit bigger and longer, Mount Kerrigan, which mm-hmm. is in the middle of Pemigewasset Wilderness, is a beefy hike, but it's probably the best view in the White Mountains? I would say say so. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The presidentials are, of course, amazing, but Kerrigan is just unbeatable because you can look at all the other mountains from it. Uh, Probably one of the most quintessential hikes in the Whites is the Franconia Traverse. So the standard route is about eight miles and crosses just an incredible exposed ridge. It's the type of hike where on a beautiful day, there might be no wind and beautiful sunshine, and it can be deadly on worse days. So just be prepared and take a look at the forecast before you go up, but really is such a beautiful spot. And one of also my favorite places is the Northern Presidential. It's very mm-hmm. similar to Franconia. Um, a lot of exposure as you get higher up. They're a little bit longer and bigger to get to. You have to commit at least half a day to, mm-hmm. to get there. And it does require some additional gear that we mm-hmm. can maybe get into a different episode. But very rewarding to go there. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the beginning of the Prezi Traverse that we've been talking about. That's, you know, this very, very long extended route that hits all these mountains that are named for the presidents. And probably one of my favorite hikes in the world. Which is which? Which hike, Katie? <laughs> well, the presidential verse itself is amazing, but within it, a bit of Katie lore is that I got engaged on top of Mount Jefferson, and that was the first hike that I ever did in the Whites. So, big fan of the Northern Presidentials. Highly recommend. Shout out to Jefferson. <laughs> and shout out to Connor. <laughs> Uh, we also really like, if you want to venture up to Maine, we've been up Mount Katahdin. So that's a really cool mountain because unlike the Whites, it's not surrounded by mountains. So you climb all the way up there. It has this beautiful, huge plateau on the top and you can just see for miles and miles because there aren't too many mountains around it. So that's definitely a favorite for us. 
Yeah, if you get a chance to go to Maine, you have to do Katahdin. It's, mm-hmm. it's just a spectacular. It feels to me, it feels like being in Alaska almost. Mm-hmm. Like Katahdin, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the last one that we'll mention in this list is if you've done the Prezi Traverse, you've done Katahdin, you've done all the rest. We do recommend the Pemijawasset Loop, Pemi Loop. So that's an even bigger version of uh, the Prezi Traverse. It includes Franconia Ridge. It includes the Bonds Traverse, and it's this big loop route that I think amounts to about thirty miles, thirty-one miles. You can do different extended versions that might take you up to thirty. 34 or 36 miles, but it's a way to really just hit as many 4,000 footers in the White Mountains as you can. And we've done it, I think, probably three or four times together now, sometimes in the winter, sometimes in warmer months. Uh, That one's good if you feel comfortable running because the last six to eight miles, if you go clockwise, are going to be sort of flattish, but it is an absolutely spectacular hike. Which leads us into some of the uh, high adventure, which incorporates yes. a bunch of these. Yes. And we've, we've trademarked this. It's called <laughs> the New England Triple Crown. Yes. Katie, do you want to tell us what that is? I The reason I wanted to make a podcast was so that we could talk about the New England Triple Crown, which <laughs> remains probably the coolest endurance thing I've ever done in my life. And this is including, you know, Kona, World Championships, whatever it is. I am more excited about the New England Triple Crown than anything else I've ever done. So, Jim, what is step one of the New England Triple Crown? The New England Triple Crown is the... It's in the wintertime. Yes, it has right? to be in the wintertime. Time. So, so between, calendar. Yes, right. December 21st and March 21st is your bounds for the New England Triple Crown. And generally, the way the order we did it in mm-hmm. was a winter presidential traverse yes. in the wintertime. Again, picking your day. Mm-hmm. Very, very important to pick the right day for that. Yes, and that was actually, we referred to this story where we decided to bail the morning of. That was when we first tried to do that, that winter presidential traverse. We came back two days later, and it did work out because we had a lot better weather. And ironically, actually, sometimes hiking in the Whites is easier in the wintertime. Yes, we were surprised that that was actually our fastest Prezi to date. And the reason it can be faster is because the Whites is known for this just extremely rugged and rocky terrain. So if you're hopping from rock to rock, it does take a little while kind of moving across these big boulders. But when there's a lot of snow, sometimes it just turns into like a sidewalk and you can kind of scoot down. You can even butt slide a lot of the downhills. And then other times you're kind of running along a little bit of a flattened ridge. You know, that's not always going to be the case though so we've also been up there and encountered you know chest deep snow and then you're gonna be moving a lot slower so read your trail reports we can link to some trail reports that we often check out before heading heading into the whites but yes step one of the new england triple crown do that prezi traverse in the winter and and unfortunately or fortunately it was fairly easy that day yes so then we did the prezi traverse we thought it was going to be this epic day and Mm -hmm. oh my god we're barely going to survive and we finished we got to crawford's and we're like actually that wasn't too bad Yeah, yeah and of course what that meant was okay what other stupid thing can we possibly do <laughs> in the wintertime that would just be sort of off the hook? Yes. So, so that led into... I think three or four days later, we headed back to the White Mountains and we did a winter Pemi Loop. So I was just talking about the Pemi Loop, this 30-mile day, and we never would have believed that anyone could do it in the winter, let alone us. But, you know, emboldened by our successful Prezi, went back, hit the Pemi. And yeah, that was hard too. But again, it wasn't so hard that we got scared away from the mountains for that winter. So we decided that the best way to sort of create or trademark this really special adventure would be to establish the New England Triple Crown and try to add a third crown jewel for our our winter adventuring. 
which was Mount Katahdin in Maine. Yes, it which was. Which is very logistically challenging. Can yes. you why? Yeah. yeah. So Mount Katahdin, it is only accessible via these logging roads that are not actually open in the winter. And not to mention, it's like eight hours away from the upper valley. So we already had to drive like eight hours to get there. You have to get a permit to even enter the park. And most people come into the park with sleds and tents and skis and they ski all their stuff in. But we're not really super into sleeping outside. So we decided let's figure out how to get this done in the limited daylight of a single day. And so we went over, we brought uh, cross-country skate skis, which was, again, probably a little bit of a sketchy choice. <laughs> it was for the wrong, the... Absolutely the wrong move. Yes. Actually, our first <laughs> our first wrong move was we said, it's not that far to Catan. We're just going to go up there. We're going to show up at the trailhead at 9 o'clock in yes. the morning. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we promptly showed up. So we should have started probably at 6 or 7 mm-hmm. in the morning. Mm-hmm. We yep. showed up at 9, hours later than we should have. Yes. And we promptly got lost on our skis yes. trying to find the trailhead. We did, yes. And it was deep snow, which, you know, skate skis, if you're not familiar, are best for groomed, flat, wide trails where you can sort of do your little V-shape and glide along. And we were just traipsing through the woods on like rutted snowmobile trails in skate skis. We had backpacks on. We had an ice axe. We had crampons. We had all these different things. But we did make it to the trailhead. We ended up walking. Mostly. Yes, we, we did. Up, we, found the, we eventually found the trailhead after yes. maybe 45 minutes. Yes. And then we gave up on our skis probably a couple miles into the, the logging yes. roads, right? Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. So we hiked the skis in and then finally we made it to the actual trailhead, the parking lot, which of course was completely snowed in and decided to start hiking up Katahdin and we realized that not a lot of people had been there because not very many people are crazy enough to try to hike Katahdin in the winter and we very quickly encountered that chest deep snow where you're just like arms and legs kind of crawling through the trail trying to make it to the plateau on top of the mountain and we told ourselves if we don't hit it by 1 30 p.m we need to turn around and we hit the plateau at 129 and we kept going. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a little bit of red flag we ran into. We yeah. ran into a couple of guys coming down early in the day after, you know, probably a couple of hours. It took us a couple of hours probably to, to get to the actual trailhead. Mm-hmm. We started up and it looked like a couple of guys had been ahead of us. So we're like, this is great. And the snow was only probably up to our shins at that point. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we decided at that point that this is great. Let's just keep going. And then we ran into you guys coming down and it was probably what, 11, 11, 30. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, we don't have enough daylight to get to the top. Yeah. And we thought, what do you mean? It's 11 o'clock. Yeah. Yep. We, I mean, you have plenty of daylight. What do you mean? Right. Mm-hmm. So they had maybe a post hole for a mile. Yep. And then after we, when we ran out of their footsteps, that's mm-hmm. when things really got beefy. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we did make it to the edge of this plateau. And up there, you know, it is another world. It looks like Mars, basically, because it's this huge flat expanse. And you basically just have to walk like a relatively flat area all the way to get to the official summit, I think almost a mile or a mile and a half. And Mind you, we tried to optimize for the weather, so we picked a clear day. But often, when there's these high-pressure systems, it will be clear, but it is really, really cold. So I believe that the real field temperature was like 30 below. Mm-hmm. So we have you know, ski goggles on. We've got our crampons on. We've got all these different layers, and we're just trying to make it across the plateau. Of course, in bright sunlight, we wouldn't have been able to do this if it had been cloudy because it's just really hard to navigate. But we did make it, luckily, over to that summit. Which is an important point. We talked about having the, a, a, a deadline, right, for re- reaching mm-hmm. the ridge and we both said listen if, it, if there's a cloud in the sky if it looks yep. like there's any clouds coming in we aren't confident in our ability yes. to navigate this really high plateau just mm-hmm. all white yes. and we didn't want to rely on you know a gps or mm-hmm. a compass so when we got to the plateau we had to make another decision look around in the in the sky and say okay it is perfectly clear mm-hmm. we can get to the summit and back in mm-hmm. time and probably in a given winter there's probably not more than five days that are like that perfectly clear up on katahdin mostly it's going to be 
completely socked in with clouds. So just keep that in mind. And yeah, not sure we'd we'd recommend this one, but we did make it. We made it to the summit. We made it back to the plateau and then it got really icy coming down. So we almost had to kind of down climb with crampons, but we did make it. And I think we got back to the car just as the sun was setting. Just as the sun was setting. We ran into the the ranger on the way out. We did. And he said, so how far did you guys get today? And he said, (laughs) well, we made it all the way. And then we chatted him a little more and he said, and he came back and he said, well, how far did you guys go today? And we said, well, we made the summit. And he kept looking at us going, no, you didn't. Yeah, like, do you know what a summit is? (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever seen a mountain before? And finally we convinced him. We told him a little about the New England Triple Crown and the things that we had done and some of our experiences. And it finally, we finally realized, oh, you guys actually did summit today, right? You're Mm -hmm. the only people who did summit at all today. We're like, yes, we actually did summit. So that was the completion of the New England Triple Crown. Yeah. And it really was one of the coolest days that I think either of us have had. I mean, just being able to complete all of those three things, it really was one of those, you know, sort of type two, three high adventures. But it built huge fitness. And even though we didn't have racing that year very much because it was kind of mid-COVID, I feel like we built a lot of trail fitness and we're really excited about what we were doing. So it was a great lesson. And, you know, you can get just as much excitement and gratification from these unstructured adventures as you can from a planned race that you've been training for for six months. And we hope all this has inspired you a little bit just to, to get outside a bit more, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Whether and it's low or high or, or medium, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter, right? There's no judgment here. Yeah. And yeah. we also find that, you know, if you're ever trying to look for tips or look for people that are trying to get out in the wilderness, like we find just as much excitement in building that community. It's just as fun for us to go and take people on their first Prezi as it is for us to do a Prezi Traverse. So definitely reach out to us if you're looking for tips um, or if you want to come along for one of these big adventures. We are always happy to be a resource to get more people outside. Yes, we yeah. are. Get off the trainer, which we may talk about in the next yes, podcast, yes. but not <laughs> But the evil trainer, but not now. Yes, this is the outside <laughs> podcast. And next week we might talk about the inside podcast. podcast. But we'll close today. Actually, we have a quick little grab bag of listener questions. And we want to say thank you so much for continuing to send in your questions. It's been awesome for us to kind of think about how we'd like to answer them and how we'd like to fold that guidance into our episodes. So we have three quick questions right here. And then we're going to fire off. And then we'll do our gear pick of the week. And we'll wrap up. So... Jim, question number one. This relates to our conversation on season planning, but a great listener asked us if you recommend doing any type of like single sport racing leading up to a triathlon. So let's say I'm doing an Ironman in July. Should I race a half marathon in April, say, to really work on my run skills or is this distracting from any type of triathlon development? Great. So we just talked about in season planning, we have two types of plans in the season. We have the the base and the general preparation, and then we have the specific, which is the last 12 weeks. So for the last 12 weeks, we tend to focus more on the swim, bike, and run and what's really specific to your race. But yeah, the example you gave of doing, I say, a half Ironman or an an Ironman in in late summer, Mm -hmm. uh, a great way to to focus on run speed is to do a half marathon, you know, Mm -hmm. in, in April, right? Awesome. So yeah, as long as it's inside the general prep phase and outside of the specific prep phase, that sounds good. I have a lot of people ask me sort of related to this about should I do a a marathon Mm. before I do an Ironman marathon? Mm -hmm. And I always explain to them that the Venn diagram of a marathon and and an Ironman marathon is very small. And the only slice, the only places they intersect is they both go 26 miles. (laughs) (laughs) So very different stimulus. Very different stimulus. We think about marathon as as 40,000 high impact steps Mm. and generally it's very black and white the goal is either you know a certain time or say a boston qualification so i feel like if it's sort of binary i hit my goal or i didn't hit my goal Mm -hmm. right whereas i feel like a lot of times with our half ironman ironman there's we're sort of this range of times you want to hit right Mm -hmm. but anyway a marathon is i think is probably 
the hardest sport to do, honestly, because mm-hmm, you just, mm-hmm. it's such a high impact for, you know, three yeah. to five hours, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll note actually, so I've done five Ironmans now and I've never done a standalone marathon. So, and you've done okay. <laughs> I'm still alive, <laughs> yes. still kicking. So you too can just do your Ironman without having done a marathon. In most of our Ironman plans, we don't have people run more than 18 to 20 miles leading up right. to it. I mean, if you want to do, if you want to do a marathon, get in a, a spring marathon, we mm-hmm. have time to build them. Like, great, we should totally do that. And if that's part of your goals, I mean, is, as coaches, we're here to support sure. you and support your hopes, dreams, and desires, right? Mm-hmm. So if you really want to run a marathon, then yeah, we should plan that and do that marathon. But just so you know that it's it's so much different. It's a completely yes. different sport than coming off the bike, you know, swimming 4,000 yards mm-hmm. and then coming off the bike after being six hours. So now you start your, your quote, marathon in mm-hmm. Ironman, you know, seven hours into your day, just completely yep. depleted, right? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Second question is how quickly do you lose your zone two base? So a listener asked, you know, if you, let's say, take a month off, take six weeks off, where either you're not really training at all or you kind of just get into this awkward zone three land, how much is that mitochondrial base building dropping off? And we have to think about this is what qualities take the longest to develop mm. and which ones don't. So for example, like speed, for example, we lose the quality of speed very quickly, right? And that's why we incorporate a lot of pickups mm. in our runs, right? Keep sort of keeping touch with speed very frequently. But for something like a zone two base aerobic foundation, you'd really have to kind of sit around on the couch for like three weeks. They've done studies in this. Like you have to sort of do nothing for mm-hmm. three weeks to really mm-hmm. kind of lose it. It took you a long time to build it, right? And it'll take you a long time to lose it as well. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. So if you've had the holiday sort of off season and if for you off season has been really not doing a lot, it's okay. Your August race is not screwed. You have plenty of time plenty to build of, that base. Plenty of time, right. The last question that we got, this was actually related to a post that we did recently about how chest-based heart rate monitors are the gold standard and wrist-based is really not that accurate. And a lot of people said, well, I'm not really sure about the heart rate strap because of chafing, which is totally a valid concern. I've heard more reports of chafing in female athletes than male athletes, maybe related to, you know, sports profit or whatever. But my tips for chafing are take body glide or some type of like chamois cream, whatever that is, rub that kind of on the bottom of your chest, like the line where the heart rate strap hits and then also just having like a really comfortable sports bra is the way to go something that's not too tight I usually kind of put the heart rate strap just under the band and let the band do the work to hold it onto you rather than being too tight with the strap but it's like anything else you know it just takes a little bit of time to get used to so just like when you get a new watch and it might be kind of weird to sleep with it if you just do it for a couple days hopefully it'll get better and we promise that a little bit of chafing is probably worth not just bashing your head against your, the wall because you see 170 heart rate for every single run you do regardless of pace that is something that we have seen with the wrist sensors. So please do yourself a favor, get a heart rate strap. Uh, we've put some recommendations on our Instagram and we'll put them in the show notes as well. Those are great tips. Awesome. Can we talk about gear? Yes, we've we made all, it to oh, the yay. end. We've been holding back the whole time and we've been alluding to gear without getting to talk about it. So today we're actually going to talk about two gear items that we have used on a lot of these winter adventures. So I'll go first. My pick of the week is the Solomon 12 liter running vest. I believe it's like the ADV skin vest. And it is one of the best packs in the entire world, maybe the best pack in the entire world. It's really stretchy. So what I like about it is that you can stuff so many things in there. You can stuff a puffy in there, huge gloves, first aid stuff, lots and lots of snacks, a two liter bladder, two soft fat flasks, which gives you the capacity of three liters of water. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can even throw more in there. Mm -hmm. So it's been great for pretty much everything except adventures where you're going to need like crampons and an ice axe. That's where it's a little bit flimsier. But at the same time, 
time, this pack is also okay if you just want to take like a windbreaker and a single soft flax because it's very just compact as well as stretchy. So we think about it as like a kangaroo pouch. It also has these really good front pockets where you can have your snacks, your phone, anything that you want really easy access to is right in front of you on your chest. And I've had my pack since I believe 2018 and it has been perfect, you know, for adventures over and over again. Sadly, the zipper did break in the last week, but I took it to a tailor and I was like, please fix my pack. I am nothing without this pack and it is now fixed. So highly recommend that pack. Uh, Jim and I both have them and really recommend them to anyone. Shout out to the huge front pockets. Yes. Because <laughs> we find that, you know, the, the way to do, especially some of these high adventures, these bigger adventures, long days in the mountains is we just don't want to stop mm-hmm. a lot, take the pack off, unzip things. Yep. Da, 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 da. So the big front pockets, you can stuff all your snacks and your hat and your gloves in there and your foam and just keep moving. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is actually something we didn't mention before, but in general, we are moving almost all day, especially for these winter adventures, because it's really easy to get cold. So think about just continuing to move forward. It's okay to go a little slower as you eat, as you drink, but in general. I'll just have your stuff really easily accessible. So my pick of the week mm-hmm. is, well, it's a little bit sad, honestly, okay. right? Because we all have these Patagonia sort of air hoodie type mm-hmm. 3D printed, mm-hmm. both crew and hoodie. Mm-hmm. and their shirts, yeah. Their shirts, right. And they, they don't sit right on your skin. So they help keep some warmth in, but also sort of release the sweat out. And mm-hmm. we thought these are the best base layer we've ever, ever found. Mm-hmm. And we found out in researching this mm-hmm. <laughs> episode, they don't make them anymore yes. necessarily. necessarily. Yes. Yes. So you can maybe find them like if you go on eBay or Backcountry was selling a few of them. But we would say like number one idea is try to get one right now before they're gone forever. I will also be buying out like every remaining one that there is in my size. But... We do have a replacement item if you can't find this. Right. So we have the, the Patagonia R1 Air Crew, and there's also an R1 Air Full Zip Hoodie. But mm-hmm. um, the Air Crew is made as a base layer, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's going to be very similar to one, the ones that we have now. Again, doesn't sit right flat on your skin, so mm-hmm. that helps evaporation. And I think the R1 Full Zip Hoodie, they, they advertise it as a mid-layer, but I think you can sort of size down and make it just a, mm-hmm. a base layer as yeah, well, Yeah, especially too. with just like a t-shirt or a tank underneath that. would yeah, be okay for exactly a base layer. Right. So that's our gear picks of the week. We'll have all these linked to... Yes, mm-hmm. we will. And if you can, go out and get that one that we just recommended because it is very sad that it's leaving. But yeah, we really appreciate people continuing to send us feedback and listen. And we hope that today has inspired you to get outside, especially in this sort of weird winter that we've had so far. The trails are not six feet of snow. There's some interesting terrain to explore, so... So definitely go out and do that. And if you tune in next week, we'll be back to talk about some inside topics related to cycling zones, how to make the most of your trainer and listener questions and gear. 